All right. Good morning. You guys grab your Bibles if you have those, and if you need some, there's some on the chairs there around you, and we'll be opening up to Deuteronomy chapter 18. I'll have a page number up here in just a moment for you. Deuteronomy 18. Um, good to be back with you. I was out last week. I'm grateful to Russ for, for uh, being able to preach last week, and uh, we're going to jump back into our Battleground series. Now, you saw the, the, um, the, the video tonight from 5 to 7 here in our gathering area. We're going to have uh, a couple of hours to be able to talk through some of this stuff. If you've had questions that you want to discuss, we can talk through those. Um, if you have sent me some questions, I've gotten those from you, so we can hit on those. If there's some of the topics that we've looked at so far that you want to dig a little deeper in, we can do that. We'll, we'll do what we have time for. Um, last time we, we did this, um, we utilized the full two hours, so I would expect we're probably going to do the same, but um, just know that's an option for you. We'll do it again after this, but I want it to be able to, we're doing, uh, I think it's message number six now in this series. So I want to give us a few to get started and then let us have some time to be able to do this and then we'll do a few more and then we can come back and do it again. So that's tonight, five or seven here. All right. So um, when I was, oh, fifth grade, I was at a friend's house spending the night and I'd, I didn't grow up. Um, in a Christian home, um, probably it would it would be safe to say my home we claimed Christianity, right? But we we weren't necessarily Christians. We went to church. Uh, we went to a denominational church, and we were pretty regular early on, at least up through fifth grade. Um, so we would call ourselves Christian in the sense that we went to a Christian church. But I was not a Christian. I was not a believer in Christ. I'm I'm not sure at that time if my if my parents were either. Um, so um, we, that was my household, um, but then I was spending the night at another friend's house, and, and that friend was even less Christian than I was, if that's even possible, because it's not like you can have different grades of non-believers. Um, we were just not Christians, but he didn't go to church. So I, just, I was just the non-Christian that went to church, and he was a non-Christian that just didn't go to church, right? Um, so we were spending the night, me and my twin brother, and um, he pulls out um, a Ouija board. And so we, you know, I mean... If I asked for a poll, you'd, you'd, you'd raise your hands. Many of you, you've done this. You know what it is. You put your hands on, the, on this, this thing, and it's got a little magnifying glass and a bunch of letters, right? And, and you know, supposedly you're, 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 you're talking to something, someone that's in the room, and it's moving it. Now, you, you know how a lot of times this thing goes, is, is especially if you're doing this in mixed company, and you're, you're asking, does so-and-so like so-and-so? And then... Then it's, yes, and somebody's moving it right there. You know, that, that's, that's how that goes a lot of times, right? And that's how I viewed that. That's how I viewed that is we, we did this. I don't even remember the questions we asked. We were a bunch of guys, so we weren't asking about girls. We were fifth grade guys, so we certainly weren't asking about girls, right? And, and so, so we were doing that. I don't remember any of the questions. And, and, and I know I don't have any, any more to that story, but I know some of you have far more to your story. I've heard several of your stories about your experience with the Ouija board. And so here's my question this morning. So we, 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 we think about things like the Ouija board, and you can buy it at Target in the game aisle. You can buy it at Walmart in the game aisle. You can, you can get your hands on this very easily. Is it okay? Is it really that big of a deal? Right? And I can start throwing out other things. I can remember, um, I shared with the class this morning, I grew up watching Jerry Springer. And, um, okay, how many of you grew up watching Jerry Springer? Okay, right? And I can remember when Jerry Springer just was progressively getting worse and worse and worse. And obviously there was more money to be made in certain types of shows. But I can remember there was Jerry. I watched Geraldo as well. Um, I can remember Ricky Lake, 
right? Um, you know, this was summer days when, when I was watching talk shows and Days of Our Lives, The Young and the Restless, because I was with my mom, right? So that's what she's watching. Anyway, so Jerry Springer or one of those talk shows, and they would bring on someone who would um, be, be gifted, quotes in the air, gifted to be able to talk to the spirits of dead people, dead family members. And so there would be people in the, in the audience who would... Um, you know, they, she would have some kind of premonition or he would have some kind of vision or whatever and he'd start talking and I'm getting a vision from and, um, and, and so they would start to go off details. Now I know I'm about to step on some toes here, right? But then they would start to, to release details that, to this person. Now I'm, I'm, I'm cynical by nature, um, but I just always assumed it was a plant, right? That, that was a plant. I mean, this is TV, Right? So, so you, you screen somebody, you got details on them, that person's probably a paid actor or actri- actress, and they're getting... That, that was my general assumption, right? But they would release details, and they're going, oh, nobody's ever known that, right? And, and so you, 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 it, it appeared, right, that they were talking to the dead grandma, dead husband, wife, whatever it was, right? Is that okay? Right, because Hollywood talk shows have put that before us. Um, someone reminded me this morning um, that you, you can just call and talk to people on the phone, and they can offer to talk to various spirits for you, right? Um, you, can, you can find them here in El Reno. There are some in here in El Reno, right? And so th- that, that's the kind of stuff um, I'm, I'm trying to start right here on the, on the bottom level to say, you and I interact with what we're going to talk about every day. But here's what happens. It's presented to us in a certain way, and we become desensitized to it, And what I want us to see this morning is this. Occult practices, I'll define that in a moment, are influenced by demons. And to participate them is to forsake God. Occult practices. Now the word occult means in in its basic form, hidden or secret. Hidden or secret power, hidden or secret knowledge. Typically in our day and culture today, we think of the occult and we immediately go to Satan worship. Right? We immediately go to um, things that would be associated with darkness, Satan worship, right? Um, and so we call that the occult. And it is. But if we pull back a moment and we look at what does the word occult mean, it's simply hidden, secret, knowledge, or power. And the implication is that is separate from God, the one true God, apart from God, which is why then Satan worship is put under there. But if we only think Satan worship, we miss a whole lot of things that would fall under what would be called occult, hidden or secret knowledge. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. And, and maybe you know that the Bible addresses this, and maybe you don't. Or maybe you think it's just an Old Testament thing and we don't deal with it anymore. But I'm going to show you it's also a New Testament thing as well. And, and it doesn't matter if it was just in the Old Testament. It's still practiced today, and so therefore God's standards still remain. The occult practices are influenced by demons, and to participate them is to forsake God. So here's where we're going to start off in Deuteronomy chapter 18, page 125, if you're using the Bibles there. This will be the, the, the first place we'll start, then we'll go to another place in Deuteronomy, and then we'll take a quick peek at one of the uh, New Testament verses. So Deuteronomy chapter 18, we're going to read verses 9 through 14. So this is Moses giving the law a second time. Deuter 
Second onomy, law, Deuteronomy, second law, second giving of the law. This is because the people of Israel have wandered in the desert for over 40 years and one generation has been wiped out because of unbelief. Remember, they sent the spies into the land and the 12 spies came back. 10 of them said, we can't take those giants. Two of them said, if God's for us, who can be against us? And so because of their unbelief, God had them wandering in the desert for 40 years until that generation who exercised unbelief had all died out. So now you've got this next generation who would have been kids at that point, and they're about to go into this land that God has been leading them to, the land that God had given to Abraham many centuries before. Now he's bringing his people back to it. So he's making sure, as he gives this law in Deuteronomy, that the people understand who is this God that's leading you and that you're going to be living in in the presence of. How do you live in the presence of this God? Because you need to know his character. You need to know how he reveals himself. You need to know how you should live in light of this God because there's going to be all these other nations around you and they're worshiping different gods. You remember a couple weeks ago we looked at Deuteronomy 32, 8 and 9. Tower of Babel scattered the, the nations and he divided those nations or those territories up according to the number of the sons of God. And I told you I believe those sons of God are spiritual beings. And so you've got spiritual beings over all these different nations, but God himself inherited Israel. Well, you've got all these nations who are being led by these, these other spiritual beings and they have become corrupt. These spiritual beings are taking worship from these people and they're encouraging the people of their nation to worship them and practice things that would, that would not line up with God's character. So as God leads his people into, into this land, he's telling them, here's what they're doing as they worship these other little g-gods. You are not to have any part in that because here's who I am and here's how my people live. So that's, that's the reason for giving the law a second time. So let's take a look at, at uh, verse, chapter 18, verse 9. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. And so the, the instruction that, that Moses is giving to, to the people is when you, when you cross over that river Jordan, you start to, to take over this land that God has given you, you're going to encounter people. You're going to encounter nations, Canaanites and Antites, and, and they're worshiping these other gods. And one of the ones that you'll know the most if, you, if you're familiar with the Old Testament is Baal, B-A-A-L. It could be Baal or it can be Baal. Either way, it doesn't matter. It's a false god, right? It's, it's, a, it's not the one true living god. Right? And then there's the, the, uh, the different Egyptian gods from the, the, the place where the Israelites were coming from. You have different um, Babylonian gods that they'll interact with at some point. You've got um, Ashtaroth, which would be a female version, the female companion to Baal. And so you read about all of these in the Old Testament. These were the downfall of the people of Israel. Right? So Moses is warning these people, you're going, to, you're going to interact with these people when you come into the land that God has given you. You shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of these nations. Now that word, abominable, abomination, it shows up throughout the law, throughout the Old Testament law. If you read Leviticus, you'll come across it quite a bit. If you read Deuteronomy, you'll come across it quite a bit. It would be a good study um, for you to, to just do a search on that word. Blueletterbible.org, BibleGateway.com, um, get an old concordance, you know, the actual book, and look up the word abominable, and then look at where it shows up in the book of Deuteronomy. And then read those passages, those verses and the, the verses before and after it. Do it in Leviticus. And you'll start to get an idea of how this word is used and what it's used to describe. Right, because we're going to see some things here that are labeled abominable or abominations. And, and, and I think they'll be easier for you to understand. But then when you understand some of the other things that abominable is used for, it, it makes you think. Now, abominable simply means 
that which is detestable to the Lord, that which is opposed to God's character or his standards, and it defiles the person who participates in it. It's an abomination, right? So it's detestable, it's opposed to God's standards, but it also has a defiling effect, an impure effect on the person or persons who participate in it. Some of that, when we look at these lists, you'll be able to see it. Um, others, you'll go, hmm, that's interesting. I wonder why. We looked at Leviticus a couple years ago. We went through, we did like 10 sermons in Leviticus, and we were looking at unclean versus clean, and some of that comes into play there as well, right? But that's the instruction. When you come into the land that the Lord your God has given you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practice of those nations. And just remember, those nations, those are the nations we just talked about. Back in Deuteronomy 32, 8 and 9, these are the nations that are under the spiritual rule and authority of other spiritual beings, not God. And they are worshiping those other spiritual beings. They are, they are practicing worship to these spiritual beings in ways that God would never have approved of. Right? That's, those are the nations that the people of God are about to find themselves among. So don't practice those things. So what are the things in this case that God is particularly concerned about? Verses 10 and 11. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. And we'll stop there for a moment. That's a lot. What are these things? Now, some of them, I think you know what they mean, right? So the first one he, he says is, hey, when you get in the land, nobody among you should burn his son or his daughter as an offering. We're talking about child sacrifice at this point. Child sacrifice was something that was commonly practiced in other nations where uh, they would oftentimes it would be the firstborn. They would take their firstborn and they would go and offer their firstborn. They would kill their firstborn. They would murder their firstborn as an offering to their God. And that could be to appease the God. That could be so that the God would then bless them with more family, uh, children. That could be that, that the God would, would bless their business, right? their farming. It could have been any of those things, but it was a very common practice that the firstborn would be offered as a sacrifice. And God says, you shall have none of that. Now, oftentimes, when we think about child sacrifice in the Bible, oftentimes the little g god, Molech, comes to mind. And this would be a Babylonian god that they worshipped, oftentimes known for child, child sacrifice. And, and best we can tell from, from history and archaeology is one of the ways that looked, and I'm going to be graphic on purpose um, because I want you to get the weight of this and I want you to make the application that's appropriate. So they would have this large statue made out of metal of Molech and his hands would be open like this so he could accept the, the offerings. And they would heat that statue up to, to ridiculous degrees so that anything that touched it would scald. And then they would take the baby and place the baby in the hands of Molech and watch the baby sizzle to death. And they would offer their child. And God says, you'll, you'll do none of that. that. That should not be practiced among you because that is not how God, your God, is going to receive worship. So no child sacrifice. We'll come back around to that. 
Anyone who practices divination. This is a big category. He says there shouldn't be anybody among you who practices divination. Divination, uh, in a basic sense, is trying to discern the future, the will of God or the gods, um, and you're doing so apart from the one true God. So you're doing so in a spiritual way. You're trying to discern the will, um, get guidance, get advice, and you're trying to do so apart from the one true God. That would be divination. And so in the in the scriptures, you can see that show up um, all kinds of different ways that, that, that the, other, the other nations would have practiced this. It, it, it could be through trying to read fire. It could be through trying to read clouds. Um, it could be through trying to read certain types of leaves. Tea leaves is common now. That may or may not have been the case then. Right? But it, it could be the way st- sticks fell when you, when you would throw sticks. Right? It, it, there's all kinds of different ways. It could be conjuring up spirits of some kind. It could be going to people who seem to have some kind of special knowledge um, and access to knowledge that they would be able to then disclose to you, right? Divination includes all of that in the scriptures. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment as well. Tell fortunes. That would be trying to predict your future, what's going to come my way, uh, what it, what's in the future for me. Uh, so, so Moses says, there should be nobody among you who tells fortunes. And of course, the, the assumption is that would be apart from God, uh, accessing power apart from the one true God. Interprets omens. I should have put that in yellow. I just missed it. Omens would be typically a sign, usually from nature, that comes across your path. You weren't necessarily looking for it, but the sign comes across your path. It could be a particular type of animal, like um, a crow or a raven. Um, and it could typically it would be interpreted as impending doom. Um, not always. Sometimes omens could be a good thing. But the idea behind an omen is you're taking something from creation and you're using it as a sign and you're submitting yourself to that and letting that guide and direct your life, and you're doing so apart from God. And so Moses says you shouldn't have anybody among you who interprets omens. A sorcerer would be someone who, who uh, practices magic, black or white. They, they wouldn't have necessarily made those distinctions back then. A charmer is also, again, still someone who practices magic but has more of a focus on casting spells on people. A medium is someone who is able to intercede between or uh, be an intermediary between a person in this spiritual realm and some spirit in another spiritual realm. And that could be for different things. A necromancer is specifically someone who conjures up dead the spirits of dead people uh, for different reasons in order to predict the future, in order to gain wisdom or advice or something like that. And again, one who inquires of the dead would be similar. And so Moses is saying, nobody among you should practice any of these things. Now we read through a list like this and we go, especially if you, if you grew up and none of this was something you were exposed to. It was stuff you read in mythology. It was stuff you read in history books. If you do a Bible reading plan, you'll read it once a year as you read through Leviticus or Deuteronomy, something like that, right? And, and you think, well, I don't, I don't really have to worry about that. But I want to camp here for a moment because these things are still practiced today. Every single one of them. They're just repackaged. Every single one of these are practiced today. Child sacrifice uh, in its traditional form, actually murdering a kid, uh, offering the kid to the God. Uh, there are places in India, there are places in Africa, and there are places in parts of Mexico, there are places in other countries, but those three are the big ones that'll come up if you start researching child sacrifice. There are tribes, now they're not, they're not widely publicized, obviously, but there are tribes that still offer their children, beheading them to their God 
as a way to appease their God. This is still practice. So if I was a missionary in Africa, if I was a missionary in, in India, I'd be reading these verses and going, hello, it directly applies. I can see a one-to-one correlation. We've got a tribe in India who practices the sacrifice of their firstborn. I'd be able to go to them and say, this is not how the people of God live. But here in America, it's veiled. It's veiled. Now, there are individuals, certainly in America, and there's been news stories that have popped up over the years where you're going, mm, that seems like it was a sacrifice of some kind. Absolutely. But let's talk about how it might be repackaged. And I'm just going to be real gentle on this, but I'm going to be very direct. We still murder babies. We still murder babies. And we do it in the name of reproductive health, reproductive freedom. All right, so from the outside looking in, if we're not, not viewing it through this lens, we'd say, hey, that's not so bad, maybe, right? Especially if we're not viewing the baby as a person, right? And, and, and there's all kinds of terms that get thrown around. I'm not, not going to dive into that at the moment. But we do that, and we say, oh, no, it, it does, it's not the same thing. Now, in the most recent resurgence of this debate, because of the possibility of Roe v. Wade being, being turned over, we've seen some things come to the surface. And some people are speaking the quiet part out loud. And so as the threat of Roe v. Wade is, is coming in, and it might be overturned, you had the um, representatives of the Satan Temple um, file a case. And they are filing a case to protect their First Amendment right to practice their spiritual practices. And they were filing that case in support of abortion. Now, I understand that not everybody who's going to go and get an abortion is thinking I'm sacrificing my child, right? But the Satan worshipers from the Satan temple clearly are viewing it that way. We want to preserve the right of abortion so that we can practice our religion under the First Amendment. That's the quiet part being spoken out loud. I'm putting that before you to say there are some people for sure who view abortion as a sacrifice. Now, even if you don't view it as a sacrifice, is that still what's happening? Are you being deceived? Is someone being deceived into practicing reproductive health, uh, reproductive freedom, and yet all the while, those who are influencing this? Remember, first week we started this series, you either belong to God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Abortion is not something influenced by God. It's murder. Thou shalt not murder. Right? And, and, it, and it sure looks a whole lot like child sacrifice. Now, you say, but people are going to get abortion and they're not offering it to certain gods. Well, they might not be offering it to Molech by name or Baal by name, but they're certainly offering it to gods, something that they're allowing to dictate their lives in which they are, they are worshiping. Reproductive freedom, reproductive health, my choice. These are things that we have elevated to where we say, this dictates my life. I will do all things in support of these things, under the submission of these things. That becomes a God. That's still being practiced today. What about divination? Trying to discern the will of God or the gods or the spirits um, apart from the power of the one true God. So we've got, um, we've got psychics, right? Palm reading. Crystal balls, reading of crystals, reading of tea leaves. You, you've, got, um, you've got tarot cards or other types of cards. 
You've got, you've got people who will throw some sticks or some stones down. We've got, excuse me, all kinds of stuff. Chakra falls into this, trying to balance your chakra. Energy levels being cleansed. New age stuff oftentimes gets into this. And, and you're doing all of this. Now, the way the chakra comes in would be you, you cleanse your chakra so that you can then better discern the direction of the spirits or, or the leading of the spirits. This stuff is practiced. It's packaged as helpful things. Um, sometimes it's packaged as comforting things. But these things are still practiced. And some of you have probably participated in it. And, and you may have done so not knowing it was opposed to God, and you may have done so fully knowing it was opposed to God, but seeking out comfort. Right, we'll talk about that in a moment. But this stuff, we're not, we're not immune to this. We're not, we're, this is not stuff that you find in a third world country or only in the Bible. This is stuff that you could go in El Reno and you could find people who do this. We used to have someone who came to this church whose parent was a witch, a practicing witch. Okay, this, is, this is real. So I'm going to move on because I mentioned witch. So telling fortunes, that, that happens. Obviously, palm readings are telling fortunes. Crystal balls are telling fortunes. All of that still happens. You can find that easily. You can call 1-800 numbers um, or you can call 1-900 numbers or, or whatever. Um, someone told me about um, some mediums this morning. Um, what is it? The Long Island medium. Um, was it, and a Clio. Those are the ones that came to mind this morning um, when they mentioned them. Uh, so tell fortune. Interpret omens. Okay, here's the, here's the thing about omens. Omens, again, um, we interact with this all the time, and we may or may not see it. An omen is a sign or something that comes out of nature, usually, and we interpret it usually for impending doom or for good. Have you ever said, um, break a mirror, and it's seven years bad luck? Step on a crack, and you break your mother's back, right? Friday the 13th, right? Bad luck, right? Black cat walks your path, right? Things like that. All right. Um, now, given our strong Native American population around here, omens are a much bigger deal, right? Because it's a large part of the culture. So you see a crow. A crow could imply impending doom or death, right? Um, or an owl. An owl could maybe be something that's better. It could be, it could be a, a good omen, right? But the idea is I'm interpreting the direction of my life or decisions based on creation and apart from God. We, we get into omens all the time. All the time. Sorcerer is somebody who practices magic. Okay, so today we have people who practice witchcraft. And it's not like just Harry Potter stuff, which, by the way, we just have to be real careful with how Hollywood is helping us to just let things like Harry Potter sleep in, sleep in because it's giving us a category for witchcraft being okay if it's practiced in a good way, like white magic. There are people who practice dark magic, black magic, and there are people who practice white magic. And there are people who their whole religion is built around and they're called Wiccans. And they, they, they can cast spells and do things like that. This is a real thing. I personally have counseled some people in my military context, I have counseled some people who are Wiccans. Because it is more common when you get outside of a smaller town. It's very, it's very trendy for a lot of people. And so this sorcerer is someone who would be practicing magic, exercising power that is, that is sourced in something or someone other than God. Charmer, casting spells. Spells are real. Now, they, they, they may not necessarily have as much power for the person who's in Christ, but spells are real. 
Now, for those of you who have been to Haiti, you know there's witch doctors. Witch doctors cast spells. You know what's at the heart of voodoo? The heart of voodoo is casting spells. Anytime you've seen voodoo depicted, um, and I'm a Louisiana boy, now I did not grow up in New Orleans, but voodoo is a common thing in New Orleans, right? And so putting pins in the doll, thing like that, that's a real thing. People can really be impacted by that because there is real power behind it. There is a, a source that's not God, but there's real power behind it, and people can succumb to that. And so the casting of spells, that still happens today. There are people who practice witchcraft or they're Wiccans, and they cast spells. They do. Mediums, again, common. Um, I, I want to I I contact the, the spirit of my, my dead grandfather, my dead dad, my dead mom, my who, whoever. And, and so someone will intercede for you, and they'll, they'll say that you're talking to this person. They might even reveal details that are accurate. Necromancer, same thing, one who inquires of the dead. Okay, so these things happen today. They absolutely happen today. Now, let's, let's, let's see why this is a problem. Verse 12, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. It defiles the person who practices these things. It is detestable to God because it opposes God and his standards. It is operating apart from God and his power. It is instead worshiping creation rather than the creator, and it is seeking power that comes from someone or something other than God. It's seeking direction from someone other than God. In Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19, it talks about if they tell you to go to the medium or the necromancer, to inquire of the dead. He tells him not to do it. But then he says, why should we inquire of the dead concerning the living? Should a people not inquire of their God? The reason those things are detestable to God is because it goes around God. It, it goes away from God, and instead it is inquiring of things and creation that is apart from God. And God says, shouldn't a people inquire of their God about the living? You want direction in life? You want, you, want, you want wisdom for how you live? Shouldn't you inquire about your God, from your God? And because of these things, these nations that are practicing them, these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. That's how God feels about these things. Those who, who practice these things are an abomination. They, they are detestable to God. They are, are defiling themselves before God. And so those who are practicing it, God's saying, I'm moving them out of this land and I'm giving this land to you, the people of Israel. He goes on in verse 13, you shall be blameless. This is the expectation for the people of God. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. Blameless is not perfect. Blameless is, I have, nobody has a reason to hold an accusation against me. You may point a finger, but I'm, I'm going to own up to it or I've already owned up to it. I'm not going to deny it. I'm not going to cover it up. Blameless, different from perfection. Verse 14, for these nations which you are about to dispossess, they listen to fortune tellers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. So these are the things that God says they're detestable. Okay, the occult, these things, they are practicing secret, hidden knowledge, power. The source is not God. These things are detestable to God and they defile God's people. But I want you to see that behind them are demons. Behind these practices, they're not innocent. Your favorite psychic, your favorite medium, as kind as she is, as compassionate and as comforting as you may feel, it is not innocent. And we're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 32. And we'll look at verses 15 through 20. Deuteronomy 
Verse 15. But Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout, and sleek, and he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. Jeshurun is a name for Israel. Some of your translations just go ahead and do that. They'll say Jacob or they'll say Israel. Jeshurun, Jeshurun means something along the lines of the righteous one or the right one. And it'll show up in a few places, usually in a poetic sense, as it's describing the people of Israel. And it's a name of honor. Right? But we're talking about the people of Israel, God's people. They grew fat. They kicked he says, you grew fat, stout, and sleek. God has provided for them in this land. Uh, he's provided for them throughout the desert. They have grown fat. That's a good thing. They've gotten healthy. They've been provided and cared for. However, in that growing fat, in that being provided and cared for, they forsook God who made him. Remember, God, God formed this nation. He called Abraham out of the midst of the people that were rebelling at, the, rebelling at the Tower of Babel, and he formed a nation, and he made a covenant with Abraham, and from him the nation of Abraham, uh, Israel came. And these people that God has been providing for and protecting and guiding ultimately forsook God and continued to do so as they got into the land. And they scoffed at the rock of his salvation. Okay, that's the, that's the accusation against these people. Verse 16 and 17. They stirred him, talking about God. So Israel stirred God to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. And so the accusation is this, after God had provided, after God had protected, after God had guided, the people of Israel turned from him, forsook him, and instead they made God jealous with strange gods. They were worshiping these other gods, Baal, Ashtaroth, all the other different gods they encountered with abominations. And there's that word again. And we've seen some of those abominations. We just saw them. But if you were to study this word, you'd see that this word also describes some of the acts that take place in worshiping some of these gods, and some of them are very sensual. And Israel was participating in that. So they've, they've made God jealous with these abominations. They've provoked him to anger. And then here it is, verse 17. This is why I say to you, the occult, those things that we just listed, the things that operate on secret, hidden knowledge or power apart from God, they are not purely innocent. They are demonic. They sacrificed to demons. Do you remember in that list, child sacrifice? So when Israel started operating and practicing child sacrifice, they were offering it to Molech or Baal, and they thought they were offering it to those gods. But what, what, what Moses is telling us is it wasn't gods, it was demons posing as those gods. So when people ask me, do you believe that there are other gods, little g, I say, yes, they're real. But what they are are demonic spirits posing as those gods. Several of you have asked me after the sermons about um, Zeus and Thor and Hercules, and that fits in here. Those kind of things fit in here. That's those civilizations, those cultures, given their explanation for their god, little g. And I'm telling you, there's no, there's no person necessarily or no, no god named Zeus, but a demon posing as Zeus or speaking as Zeus. And that's how they reveal themselves. And so what I want you to hear from that is there are real spiritual beings behind these false gods. They're not just fictitional. And so when these, these people started offering sacrifices to these little G gods, what Moses is telling us, they didn't sacrifice to just nothing. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, the, to gods that had never known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. So these demons revealed themselves to the people. These nations had already had a relationship with them, and then God's people got pulled into it. The occult is influenced by demons. 
Verse 18, you were unmindful of the rock that bore you and you forgot the God who gave you birth. When we practice these things, the occult, anything that operates on secret knowledge, secret power, hidden knowledge or hidden power that is apart from God, the things that we've talked about, those things are not innocent. There is real power behind them. How does it that a medium knows when they're talking to a, supposedly talking to your, your, your mom or your dad or your, your grandparent, how do they know all these details? Because demons have been around for centuries. And oftentimes in that kind of scenario, by the way, um, when people talk about those kind of spirits, we call them familiar spirits. They seem familiar to us. They have details about us. If you have a demon who has been observing Right? And there's, there's demons that, that can be all kinds of different places. They can't be everywhere at once, but they can observe wherever they are. And they can communicate. Right? This is not hard to, to see how this can work. Right? They can know the name of your dead loved one. They can describe details about your dead loved one. They can give you things that nobody else knows because you didn't think anybody else was in the room when you, that moment was happening, but this spirit being was. That's how this can work. Right? And, and so, and so when, when people are contacting and it, and it seems like a comfort, how can that hurt me? Because it seems so comforting to me. It gives me closure that I, I've supposedly talked to my dead loved one. The scriptures nowhere tell us that when a person dies, their spirit stays on earth. It doesn't. In fact, what we're told for believers in Christ is that to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. You go immediately from being in this life, your body goes into the ground or wherever, and your spirit departs and it goes to be in the presence of God, what we would call heaven. Those who are not believers in Christ, same thing happens, except that instead of going to the presence of God, you go to the holding place of hell, where you await for judgment. But there's nowhere in the scriptures that it tells us that the, the spirits of people who have died stay here. So this business about ghosts are actually um, the spirits of dead loved ones who have unfinished business. That's not scriptural. Your, your loved one goes to be with the Lord. They don't become angels. They don't become demons. Nowhere in the scriptures do we get that. And so what that leaves for us is you're not interacting with your loved one. You're interacting with a familiar spirit, a spirit who is posing as your loved one and is deceiving you so that instead of going to the Lord for comfort, you're going to keep going to this place. And you're going to seek comfort and a power and a source apart from God. That's how that works. It's not innocent. Not at all. I want to show you the New Testament real quick. It's not just an Old Testament thing. Here's 1 Corinthians 10, and we'll probably look at this verse, these verses in full another day. But I want you to really hone in on verse 20. Paul says, Consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices, participants in the altar, what do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. It sounds like Paul's been reading Deuteronomy. Right? They offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons, he says to believers. I don't want you to participate with demons. How is that? The way these other nations are practicing, one of which the example he gives is sacrifice. When they offer sacrifice, these animal sacrifices, because this is in the context of eating meat, these animal sacrifices, he says they're offering them not to God, they're offering them to demons. 
I don't want you to participate with demons. Occult practices are influenced by demons, and to participate them is to forsake God. Now, I've, I've shared with you in brief what they look like today. I hope what you're seeing is they're not innocent. They are demonically influenced. So what happens if I participated in them? What happens if I've played the Ouija board? What happens if I've gone and visited a medium because I was seeking comfort and I wanted to, 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 to get some, something from my, my, my dead loved one? What happens if I've gone and had my palm read while I visited New Orleans because it was just an innocent trip and I wanted the experience? What happens if I've had someone read tarot cards or crystals? What happens if I've had someone cleanse my chakras? What happens if I'm participating in yoga and as I'm participating in yoga, they're talking about the way I pose being an act of worship to this God, but they wouldn't say it like that. They'd say, you're cleansing your chakras. What do I do? Take it seriously. If you've done it, whether you did it knowingly or not knowingly, it's sin. It is, it is opposed to God and his standards and his character. And it defiles the person who participates in it. Now, believer in Christ, if I'm a believer in Christ, are we talking I've lost my salvation? No. I believe you're secure in Christ. But can it defile you still? Yes. Can it open you up to be influenced by demonic things? Yes. Now, we're going to get into, in July, we'll get into open doors. What, what are some things that open doors? I'm going to start leaking some of that now because you need to know this. Is every time I go and do this going to open me up? No, not necessarily. So if I played that Ouija board in fifth grade, did that automatically give me some kind of demonic influence? No, not necessarily. But especially if I'm continuing to do this, it, and, and, if I'm, and if I'm indulging in this, then definitely we're opening ourselves up for some kind of demonic affliction, some demonization. We must repent. That's what we do. We must repent. We call it sin. We identify it for what it actually is. I am operating apart from God and his gospel. Why? Because God sent his son, Christ. And Christ reveals to us the Father. And, and believing in Christ, I receive the Spirit. And the Spirit leads me and guides me. And the Spirit teaches me and helps me to understand things. The Holy Spirit, God the Spirit. And when I go apart from him, and I'm looking to spirits, uh, mediums, um, necromancers, um, psychics. I am operating apart from the gospel, and the people of God must not do that because it opens us up to defiling ourselves and being influenced by demonic things. So if you have participated in any of that, I would say you need to repent today, now. In just a moment, we'll, we'll have just a little space. God, I see this. I didn't know it or I did know it. That's the difference between transgression and a sin. A transgression is I did it and I knew it. And I knew it was wrong, I did it anyway. It was rebellion. Sin is I did it and I didn't necessarily know I did it. I didn't necessarily know it was sin when I did it. But now I'm becoming made aware of it. And so it's still sin. Ignorance doesn't excuse us from the guilt of sin. But instead, in God's mercy, he reveals things to us so that we then repent of those things and receive his mercy and be cleansed from that. So we need to repent of that. I confess it, call it what it is. I repent of it, and I turn, and I believe in Christ. 
Now, what if I've been living my life this way apart from the gospel, and I've never trusted in Christ, but I've been finding hope and help from these things. Then today you repent and you believe in Christ as Savior. Today you, you, you call those things sin as God is showing you that they are, and you turn from that and you say, I find my hope and my help in Christ and Christ alone. And I forsake all of those things that are operating apart from God and His power, apart from God and His wisdom, and I turn to Christ. And you're then brought out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of His beloved Son. You receive the Spirit of God who cries out within you that you are a child of God. You receive the Spirit of God who then leads and guides you. You don't have to go apart from how God has revealed Himself to find your way. You go to Him. And then, perhaps if you think you've been opened up to some kind of demonic influence, and and you would know by this, do I have reason to believe that there's some kind of demonic influence? Do I have thoughts that seem to come out of nowhere and I try to do everything I can to battle them. I read the scriptures, I pray, I'm, I'm confessing, and yet they just keep tormenting me. That would likely be demonic influence. Do I have attitudes or behaviors Things that I just can't shake no matter how much I battle them. I'm, I'm going to Scripture. I'm memorizing Scripture. I'm praying and, 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 uh, and I'm confessing and I'm, I'm being held accountable by, by my friends. But this doesn't leave me. It could be that there's something there. Can you pinpoint that, whatever that is, back to the time where you went to a medium or had your palm read or, or whatever it was? Can you, can you pinpoint it? That could be a possibility. What I don't want you to do, and, and where, where I think because most of us are not familiar with these kind of things, uh, anxiety really creeps in is we start to think everything I do becomes opening me to the demonic, and, and that's not the case. That's why I say if you have reason to believe. Right? If you did it that one time, and you have no reason to believe there's some kind of demonic influence, you confess it. If you've never confessed it or repent, do it today. Even if it was fifth grade, do it today. You need to. You got to call it what it is. You got to see it for what it is. That's part of us growing in Christ. As believers in Christ, we, we, we regularly repent of sin when we become aware of it. That's a regular practice for us. I see it, I never saw it before, but now I'm repenting of it. That's sanctification. That's us growing in Christ. But if you believe there might be something more, we're going to have a prayer team available here in just a moment. We'll have some folks up around here in the room and then uh, this room outside of this hallway here, room 117, in case you want maybe more of a private setting, we'll have a couple people there. Just go in and talk to them. Let them know what you're, what you're wanting prayer for, why you think that's going on, and then they'll pray with you or they'll get somebody to help pray with you, okay? But let's just take a moment and ask the Lord to show us what he's saying to us this morning. If while we were talking about some of those things, you were starting to get uneasy because you've participated in them, or you've never viewed them as being an abomination to the Lord, 
You need to know, child of God, if you're in Christ, you've been purchased at a price. And you belong to your Father. And you are secure in His hands. And as Paul would say in Romans 8, there is nothing, neither height nor depth, he even lists, nor angels nor demons, nor principalities nor powers. Those are spiritual beings. None of those things can separate you from the love of God in Christ. But my closeness with the Lord my intimacy with the Lord, that can be impacted. And so if you, you're uneasy because I've never viewed it this way and it's challenging your views or, or you've participated in it, just go before the Lord this morning and put that before Him. God, I'm uneasy about this. Why? And maybe you know why. So God, if there's people in this room today where we've all done it because it's been packaged to us as innocent. Uh, at times, maybe we've, we've participated in something that would be considered the occult, an abomination to you. So God, right now in this moment, we identify that, whatever that was, that Ouija board, that medium, that palm reading of tea leaves, the cleansing of the chakras, whatever it was, name it. Go ahead and just name it. And God, we see it as sin. As an, as an attempt to go around you, to submit ourselves to the creation, rather the creator, to operate and seek a power that does not belong to God but belongs to creation. Spiritual beings, demonic beings. And in the name of Christ, we condemn those things now. We seek your cleansing forgiveness in Christ. Father, bring freedom in this room today. Let your spirit resurge hope and those who have lost hope. If you've been dealing with a type of sickness or an illness or disability and you can pinpoint that it started at the time you went and did something, there may be a connection there. Maybe. It's worth exploring with some of these members of the prayer team here in just a few minutes so we can pray specifically about that and ask the Lord about that. Father, show us the things you need us to see this morning. Help us to be open. I, I pray for your peace in our hearts. For those that are in Christ, we have been made at peace with God, and I pray that we would then experience your peace, the type of peace that goes beyond all understanding, that we would not leave here today with anxiety because of these things, but instead with hope that there is a God who is greater than these things, and a Father in heaven who loves us and provides for these things for us apart from those things, a God who is able to comfort us because he knows us and he formed us in the womb. He knows our thoughts from afar, and we are by him fearfully and wonderfully made. So those of you who are part of the prayer team, if you want to go ahead and make your way to a spot in the room and then a couple of you, if you'll go to room 117 there. And these folks will just be available. It can be a prayer about anything, but if you have something specific, let them know and they'd be glad to pray with you. All right, so with that, Father, I pray that as we depart from here, we would be people who are characterized, characterized by your hope, and by your peace, and by your power, the power of the Spirit that lives in us. I pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. See you guys.